Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are doing April's Q&A. And this is when we gather together the most common questions we get asked around fitness and fertility. And in April, we had a bumper post bag. So we're going to get through as many as we can. So our first question came in from Steph. Steph's tried to lower her BMI. Even though she's eating less, she's still having a really tough time with it. She's heard that certain lifestyle factors can affect weight loss, but she's not entirely sure what those lifestyle factors could be. Maria, when you're dealing with your clients, what are the lifestyle factors that you want them to address quite early doors? Mm, That is a great question, actually. There are two key lifestyle factors that I would go to straight away, and they are sleep and hormones. So sleep and hormones are two, two things that can have a massive effect on your weight loss journey. So with sleep, even though we have talked about this before, it's so important. Sleep isn't this kind of passive time where your body's doing nothing. It allows your cells to repair. It allows you to process everything that's happened in the day. You release things like growth hormone. And the other very practical side of sleep is if you flip it around, when you're tired, everything is so much harder. And that includes making healthy choices. You know, Roisin, we've talked before about you just finding yourself with a load of chocolate cereal, you know, in your mouth one morning. And that was just pure tiredness. You need to have slept around eight hours in the night so your body can be rested so that when you wake up the next day, you're not so tired that you instantly reach for the caffeine and the sugar. You can make healthy choices in the morning. You can have a nice healthy breakfast with protein, with some carbs to set you up for the day. And then that means you don't have that kind of sugar crash later on as well. So sleep is the first factor that's massively important. Yeah, and it's really difficult, isn't it? Because I know we do run on about sleep. People are sleeping less and less, spending more and more time on our devices lasting at night, which keeps us awake. I think everyone's scrolling. Everyone's stuck on reels, aren't we? We're all just like stuck on a reel. Usually in the bathroom, you know that I've got to go and brush my teeth and suddenly you're... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're just... Some of them are funny though, Roisin. That's the problem. That They're funny. The problem. There's some funny stuff out there. But you can lose hours and the blue light from the phones themselves have its effect on your ability to nod off. I don't know if this was your tip, but this is a tip that I thought was great, which is people that set an alarm about an hour before they go to bed. Yeah, that was my tip, protein. Genuinely, it's really good one. It's one I've employed because I have to put my phone away after that hour. It's been a really tough challenge, but I've been sleeping so much better. Obviously, I'm going to say at this point that if you really want a good sleep, you have your bath before you go to bed. It has yes, been Roisin. proven to yes, work. Roisin. So instead of having that half an hour scrolling on your Insta, have a warm soapy bath and a good book. And believe me, you will be out like a light. And it's all for the reasons that Maria said. When you are well rested, your decisions from the minute you get up are so much better, so much easier and to stay on course when you're not tired and hangry. No one loves hangry. Easier to make decisions, easier to stay in control. You're just not as tired anymore. 
sleep, major lifestyle factor. What else we got? Hormones. Hormones is such a massive influence on your weight loss. And this is the one where, like Steph was saying, you can be eating less, you can be doing all of the things and the weight just isn't shifting. There are lots of hormones that affect your weight gain and your weight loss. One of the ones that we haven't talked about really is this hormone called leptin. And long story short, leptin is the one that makes you feel full. So leptin is known as the satiation hormone. It makes you feel full. But the problem is when your body gets a bit out of sync, it stops recognizing the signals that leptin has given you. And so what that means is you stop feeling full. And then, of course, the problem when you stop feeling full is you just keep eating and you don't get that kind of turn off switch. If you have things like you're constantly feeling hungry, if you suddenly have an increased appetite, if you have enough energy or if you do have a lot of body fat already, but you're still hungry and you're still eating, if you're gaining weight very, very easily, these could all be signs that your leptin is experiencing an imbalance. So the way to check this is to have a blood test. And then hopefully through that blood test, you will find out some really useful information. So if you do have leptin issues, you can go back to the doctor and you can get some support with that. But hormones, they're massive. So basically you're in a situation where you don't feel satiated. You just don't feel full. Yep. And it's because of your hormones. They're just not quite doing what they're supposed to do. So inevitably you just eat because obviously the point is you're supposed to stop eating when you're full. We all know that. We don't all do that, but we know that that's the case. And actually we could get into this because there's the whole thing about emotional eating, comfort eating, mm -hmm. which obviously we could talk about a lot. But when it comes to the pure physicality of it, the idea is you stop eating when you're full, which is, as an aside, why you're supposed to not eat too quickly. You need to give your body time to register the food that's in your stomach so that your body does actually know you've eaten enough and then you stop. And this is why we're always saying, don't wolf down your food, make sure you chew your food. Our body just needs a little bit of time. Oh, I'm full. Okay, I don't need to eat anymore. And then you stop. But if your hormone, in particular your leptin, isn't quite working properly, that signal doesn't come out. So you never know. So you just keep going. So I suppose if you feel like you aren't feeling satiated after dinner, you've prepped your meal, you've yeah. done your macros, you've done your micros, you know exactly what you're meant to eat, you eat it and literally you're still starving. There could be two things in that time after you eat. There is about a 10 minute delay between your stomach and your head. Give it time before going for seconds. And if the satiation never comes, you never feel like that you're done. Maybe it's time to go and see the doctor on that one. Yeah. And if that is happening to you, that is terrible. Oh, absolutely. It's difficult enough to diet. Certainly if you're running up against a hormone imbalance at the same time. Yeah, that's tough stuff. It's extra hard. And like you say, it's hard enough as it is. Basically, if you're eating and, and you know, like you've just said, I am eating enough, I shouldn't still be hungry. And this is happening regularly, not just the one off around ovulation, you know, where you shove everything in in sight, but regularly, then just go to the doctor and just say, look, I'm a little bit worried, can I have a blood test? And then go from there. Then you can put a plan of action into place as to how to deal with it if there is an issue. Interesting. Rachel's been in touch and she says, I have endometriosis. I really want to work out, but I'm finding it really difficult to manage the heavy, painful periods. Do you have any advice? Yeah, I feel for Rachel because endometriosis is such a tough one. And obviously people experience, you know, really excruciating pain with endometriosis. I do get asked this question a lot. My go-to advice for anyone working out with endometriosis, and I do have clients with endometriosis, is to acknowledge that everybody with endometriosis is different. 
And for anyone who's not sure what endometriosis is, it's where the lining of the uterus, basically it grows in places it shouldn't. And, you know, I've heard horror stories about it growing around people's bowels. It's been growing around people's ovaries and it causes extreme pain. When it comes to exercise, what I always say is we work with the individual. So for some people, they might have phases in their cycle where they are okay to work out. And we say, brilliant, we're going to work out in those phases. But you might have a week around your period where you are absolutely stuck on the sofa and it's too painful. It hurts too much. Your periods are too heavy. So what I would say is we're not even going to plan to work out in that week and that's okay because it just isn't possible for you. And I would rather we acknowledge that you can't work out in that week so that you don't have the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment of missing those workouts so that you can then come back the week after and start to work out again. I would acknowledge individual differences, work around your cycle, not against it. And again, this is where tracking your cycle comes in so we can plan for that week. And just give yourself grace. You know, if your endometriosis is flaring up and it is too difficult for you to work out, just take that day, take it as a rest day and just come back and do your best as soon as your body is able to do so. It's a really individual thing, endometriosis. And then the last little bit on this is for some people, exercise can actually be anti-inflammatory. Exercise can help with the symptoms of endometriosis. The flip side is for some people, it can make it worse. So it's really important that we work with the individual to do the best thing for them on that one. I don't know an awful lot about endo. Is it a case that you'd say, well, swap out core day for an arms day? Or is it a case that endo leaves you at a point where you just, you're virtually incapacitated, you can't do anything? The short answer is endo is way more than just a localized pain. And there is so much research out there. For example, it's even been linked to things like sinusitis. Wow. It's horrible for anyone that's got it, but clinically speaking, it spreads everywhere. The pain can be everywhere. So the actual endometriosis itself might be in a particular part of the body, but because it's considered to be an inflammatory condition, they are now linking it to lots of other types of things that basically cause people pain. Again, it depends on the individual. It also depends on the kind of level of endometriosis you have. So when you go for a checkup for endometriosis, if they suspect you have it, they will then basically grade your endo. And, you know, it can go from one, which is you have it, but it's not horrific to, I think it's five, um, which is there's a lot of it. It's everywhere and it's causing you huge amounts of pain. Really, really individual, but no, it isn't just isolated to one particular place. It can then have loads of knock-on effects as well. And they're finding out so much more about inflammation within the body. Mm-hmm. Something that we think just lives in our uterus or uterine lining really has an effect on so many different parts of our body. As a complete side note, I suffer from psoriasis, which not a fertility problem as such. But again, just like endo, now they've realized that what is a skin condition I just have on my scalp. Well, apparently I, I could potentially have it internally as well because it's an inflammatory condition. I did not know that. Oh yeah. my goodness. So you can have it internally, externally. Wow. And again, there's various grades and various types. And also you have flaring and things affected like stress and alcohol and eating sugar and all that kind of thing. They're learning a lot more about inflammation and inflammatory diseases. Hopefully that means that they will then learn more about things like endometriosis as well, because like you said at the very beginning, there's not actually that much known about it. There's not enough known about it. So hopefully with all the research that's going on around inflammation, then then more will come up because the more we know, the better it is. Absolutely. We have Emma. So Emma was listening to Tia Brown's interview on Friday. Thank you for that. 
Tia mentioned that she hates pregnancy announcements. She said, I find it really reassuring that I'm not the only one. She just asks, Maria, how did you find pregnancy announcements when you were going through your TCC journey? I'm going to be honest, I still find them really hard and I'm not trying to have a baby anymore. I think Tia said last week that even though she's had her beautiful twins now, she still hates them and she still finds them really triggering. And I kind of went away thinking about that after she'd said it, because it's one of those things about fertility and infertility being a trauma. A lot stays with you afterwards. So even though my youngest is now two and a half and, you know, causing chaos around the house, you know, as they do, there are still certain things that I haven't shaken off yet. And actually, I still find pregnancy announcements really hard. And it's funny, I think it it has such a strong effect on you because what would happen is you wake up in the morning, you do the thing we're not supposed to do, which is where you reach over and you blindly open your eyes and you go onto social media and you pull up your Instagram, boom, pregnancy announcement, boom, pregnancy announcement. And when you are trying to conceive, it is like someone stabs you in the heart. Anyone that's gone through it will understand it is like a stomach punch. It's just like a deep rooted pain. It's just so hard. So when it came to the pregnancy announcements on social, in answer to your actual question, I actually came off social for a long time. And it was a little bit frustrating because I was on social following a lot of fitness accounts and all that type of thing, but the fertility side of it became too much. So I came off socials for a long time. The thing I actually found extra hard was working with people who were pregnant. When I was going through my fertility journey, one of my colleagues who I worked with every day was actually pregnant with twins. When I went through pregnancy loss, not their fault, of course, not their fault at all. But going through pregnancy loss and then coming back into your office and there's someone there pregnant with twins was horrific. And there was nothing they could do. They were so good about it. You know, they were even trying to cover it up. They absolutely were trying to do absolutely everything they could. But at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do. You know, that side of things was really hard. But yeah, I came off social media, did the thing where I tried to avoid all pregnant people, which is basically impossible because they're everywhere when you're trying to have a baby. Then you've got the thing like baby showers, that type of thing. It got to the point where I respectfully said, no, thank you. And I did do it respectfully, but in the end I was like, I just can't go to them. It's just too much. So you have to look after yourself sometimes. And then I always thought when I'm in a better situation later, when I'm emotionally better, I will try and explain to people, I'm really happy for you, but this is too hard for me. And that's kind of how I managed to deal with it really. And that's only, I suppose, if you could be honest with someone about your position. I know a lot of people listen to us. You don't want to tell anybody else. You don't want to talk about it. And that makes it doubly hard because you you can't respectfully tell anyone anything under those circumstances. Exciting news. The Fertility Show Live is back, returning to London's Olympia on the 20th and 21st of May 2023. The Fertility Show is a one-of-a-kind event that brings together top fertility experts, clinics and doctors, all under one roof. Over 70 exhibitors from the UK and overseas, including clinics, advice groups, charities, acupuncturists, dietitians, nutritional and lifestyle advisors, holistic therapists and more. With the opportunity to meet over 15 clinics from home and abroad, you can get all your questions answered, take home brochures and those all important contact details. I still remember my first visit to the show, feeling nervous and like I was outing myself. But once there, I found a supportive community that made me feel less alone. And getting to speak with specialists that you might have to wait months to see at a clinic was a game changer. It's a safe, discreet and welcoming event that provides valuable information for anyone who wants to have a baby. 
So mark your calendars for the 20th and 21st of May 2023 and join us at the Fertility Show Live in London's Olympia. We'll be there too, so don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to find out everything you need for your fertility journey. I didn't have the fertility journey that most of you guys have had. But even I have found that the glorification of the gender reveals. Oh, yeah. Since doing the podcast and understanding more about the infertility journey that women are going through, I just I look I look at the gender reveals completely differently than I did. What now happens is it's not just the pregnancy announcement. It's we've got the pregnancy announcement and then we're going to do the gender reveal I'm going to update you on my 12-week scan and I'm going to update you on my 20-week scan. And there is no criticism of this. I get all of these things, 100% get all of these things. But what it means is for people who are still in the middle of it, for every one pregnancy announcement, you get five, six, seven, eight posts that are quite big posts that everybody does. It's like eight times the difficulty every time you log onto your socials. It's a really difficult one. And of course, what happens is you follow people because they're infertility accounts and then inevitably people get pregnant, which is why so many people do very nicely say, please do unfollow me. The common one at the minute is to kind of protect your hearts, which I completely understand because people get it. They've been there. So you're right, Roshan. It isn't just, hey, I'm pregnant and then I'm not going to talk about it again for nine months. It's hey, I'm pregnant and now my account is a pregnancy account, it's not a fertility account. And that's really difficult because it comes up on your newsfeed all the time. But again, you completely understand the joy and you completely understand that I have waited five years for this. I am logging everything. I'm sharing everything because this is my time. And this might be the only time I get to do this, so I'm doing it all. So it's a really difficult one because I totally understand it. But I also get why it's still very, very difficult for people who aren't there yet. Just to go back to Emma's question about, did you feel it? Because she does feel it. I'll just say that I obviously didn't get the sting from pregnancy posts. That's not something I got a sting from. But what I'll say is that things are learned behaviours. You're used to seeing the fertility post. It's like getting a slap. And then you get enough slaps, you start anticipating the slap. Hopefully, if you go through and have your babies, you go on and you live your life. And there will be a time when you're having a cup of coffee or you're merrily on the couch and you're scrolling and someone's pregnancy announcement will come up and it won't touch you. It may take a long time, but it will recede. This ties in really nicely to Jessica Hepburn, who we had on the show, who's just an incredible woman who's achieved a huge amount, multiple rounds of IVF, but never ended up with a successful pregnancy, unfortunately, which was absolutely devastating for her at the time. And in the UK, we've just had Mother's Day. And one of the things she posted about was a picture of her in a park And I messaged her privately as well, just to say, I hope Mother's Day is okay with you because, you know, she'd just been on the show. And her reply was, and her public reply was, I really appreciate everyone getting in touch with me, but I am now very healed, I think were her words. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you're saying. I think it has taken her, I don't want to speak for her, but just based on how long it's been since she went through her IVF journey, I think it has taken her a number of years, but they were her words. And I think it's been a long time coming, but from what I could tell, she's a lot better than she used to be. So I think it will happen. It just could take a very long time. We all have things that trigger us. When they come to trigger me, whatever that thing is, I like to think, I can't wait for the day that that won't phase me. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And that day will come and go and you won't notice it. In the great words of Jessica Hepburn, that's when you know you're healed. Following on from that, Roisin, I actually have a little question that I wanted to ask you. And this isn't something we've talked about before. so. 
before you came into this world of fertility, were you aware that any of this was going on? It's kind of like an underworld happening around you. Did you ever notice? Did you have a clue? I didn't know you girls existed at all. I really didn't. I leapt from being childless to being pregnant and there was no gaps and there was no questioning and there was no research in the in-between. I think if it had have taken me longer to get pregnant, I would have accessed a bit of this world. I would have gone in and I would have probably found some of the blogs or websites or chat rooms. I knew people who had infertility problems, but I didn't know the culture existed. And even when you're in it, it's so diverse. I'm still very much a newbie. It's interesting. The use of the word culture is actually a really useful word there to describe it. It is a whole culture. It's like learning a whole language. It's like learning a whole things you say, things you don't say. It's not a culture you would choose to be part of, as people say, but yeah, it is a culture. It's a culture that you that you learn. Are you kidding me? You have your own acronyms. You've got your own iconography. <laughs> I had to ask, what the, what's the pineapple about? Like, what is the pineapple about? <laughs> it's all of those things. And in a way, that's why you wanted to do this podcast, because it's quite impenetrable for the newbies, but also for people that are in uh, the TCC journeys a lot longer, because you're just bombarded by so much information, just to have one place to go to say, look, I just got to, I got to get myself in physically good shape because I want to have a healthy pregnancy or want to get pregnant or want to have IVF. Give me the information on that. That's all I need. When you're in this community for long enough, there's a lot of information out there and a lot of it's conflicting. The conflicting information thing is an absolute nightmare. And so, like you've said, we really hope this podcast helps people to kind of wade through that conflicting information and for people to feel less alone. A lot of people reach out and they just say, it's such a private thing that a lot of people don't speak to anyone else about their fertility journey. You feel really alone and really isolated. So a lot of people just reach out just to say, it's just nice to have someone that understands what's going on. And it's nice to have a community of people out there so that I feel less alone because I can't tell my mum, I can't tell my brother. I definitely can't tell the people I work with. Hopefully it just helps people feel, um, feel like they're in good company, really, in a way. There's a bit of support. We'll finish it off with a little summer song from Kath, I think. Kath has booked her summer holiday. I'm jealous. I'm not even there I'm yet. I'm jealous. Oh my goodness, Kath, you're organised. Well done, Kath. Oh God, this is, I could have written this question. She's booked her summer holidays, but she needs to lose around two stone, 13 kg before she goes. Any advice? Oh, I hear that. Oh, Kath. This is when you start pulling out the, the summer clothes and you're thinking, how in the hell <laughs> am I going to get into those? I love that you're actually planning ahead, Kath. It's really frustrating, isn't it? Because people who do have more than a few weeks worth of weight or body fat to lose, you are going to be in this for a while. So I love that Kath is planning ahead because you want your holiday to be fun and you want to have a nice time. My top tips when planning a holiday, but also wanting to kind of stay vaguely on the wagon. I'm working with a client at the minute and she is in this situation. So she's got a holiday booked, but she knows that she's not going to have reached her ultimate weight loss goal. So what we're doing is we are setting a weight loss goal for her pre-holiday. We're going to have her try and maintain whilst she's on holiday. The idea of us doing this is A, she still feels in control, which is good. We're not going to aim to lose on holiday, but she's going to try and avoid piling loads back on just because, you know, it takes so long for it to then come off again. But I'm really excited to have this goal because it's realistic. What I would also say is I love working out on holiday. 
and I can see people, you know, shaking their heads and kind of rolling their eyes. If I work out, it could just be use the pool, you know, just say, look, I am actually going to do 20 minutes of swimming a day. Use the aqua aerobics class that they put on in the hotel. If you're in a hotel, they'll have gyms, they'll, they'll put fitness classes on. My go-to is resistance bands. I love resistance bands. You can do a hotel workout with resistance bands, wrap them up, put them in your shoes, pack them and bring them with you. So I would say get your goals set up to be realistic, but also plan ahead a little bit. Is there a gym? Can you go for a run? Do they do classes? And just build it in. Even if you try and get two or three in in the week when you're away, you know, that could be enough just to help you maintain while you're out there. And actually, Roisin, I want to ask you, I've had a little thought. I don't think you used to work out on holiday, but I've seen photos of you on more recent holidays where you were kind of running along the beaches of of Lanzarote. <laughs> is this, have I just made this up, Roisin, or has this actually happened? I'm sure you've switched. I have, and for the same reasons as Kath, because what I would do is I would work so hard to look great for the airplane on the way to the holiday. <laughs> and then I would systematically destroy it for two weeks and I would start in the airport and I remember thinking I had my best body before I got on the flight I would work really hard in the days and weeks coming off a holiday and then I would be squeezing into the clothes by the second week because I would be just all over that all-you-can-eat buffet like I mean yeah <laughs> I would eat like I was storing it for winter or something you know like I was trying to physically <laughs> bring it home couple of things. One, I agree with Maria. If you're going on holidays, everyone wants to look at their best. Like, let's face it, how often do we see this meant for our own skin, not to mention anybody else's? Any tightening up that you can do before a holiday, do it. It's all about just reducing the wobble. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. care as long as I reduce that wobble. Get on your eating plan, do some exercise, try, get a bit of toning in the arms, a bit of toning in the legs. A sundress in the in-between will cover everything else. So <laughs> legs and arms. When I got on holidays and I was sick of putting it all on and then just coming back broke and miserable and I'm so fair, I don't even have a tan. So I don't even have a tan to lose. What I started doing was walking on holidays. So instead of like getting this taxi down for the restaurant or getting this, because usually you're within walking distance of most things on holidays. Yeah. yeah. Get out, do your steps. And I used to really enjoy that. And yes, I eventually started running, but I started with walking. The other thing that I did was I bought a skipping rope. Sounds horrendous. Love that. But it's really, really quick. So I would set a, t a timer and I would, by the way, I would do the skipping on the way to the holiday. So this is part of my exercise on my way to get ready for the holiday is that I try and do, you know, a minute on, a minute off, a minute on, a minute off. And I try to maintain that during the holiday. What it does is you get up, you exercise first thing. So that gets your metabolism rocking and rolling. Just by the fact that you've done a bit of exercise in the morning, you're less likely to pile in, you know, three tons of sausages. Yeah. You just are. You're just in a different frame of mind. And I remember always thinking, you know, when I didn't exercise, I would eat badly. So yeah. when I do exercise, I eat better. But I always, always said, I'm on holidays. I'm having a great time. I might have to do my skipping. I'm going to do my walking, which is in the sunshine and going to be lovely anyway. And then from after lunch, all bets are off. I get to do whatever I want to do. And then we start again. Yeah, I'm going to put on a bit of weight when I'm on holidays, but I'm not going to do the kind of numbers that I used to do. And I want to feel as good, not as good on the way over as I did when I went back, but I wanted to feel like I was within the same realm. 
I really like that. And so that's when I started making the change. I didn't want to be looking smoking hot just for the, you know, the Ryanair <laughs> attendance. I love that your story was, what did you say? You said something like, I got really, I looked really great for going to the airport. My goal was to look good in the airport. And I thought you just kind of misspoke just, just for a minute. And then when, when you explained, you were like, no, no, no. I mean, the actual airport. The actual airport. Because I would walk into that airport, I would be looking fine and I'd go, it's four o'clock in the morning. I'm having a pint and a fry up. This is why I asked you the actual question, because this is a very honest answer. But you're right. Walking, skipping, basically things you can shove in your shoes when you put them in your suitcase can make the world a difference. Yeah. And put a few parameters on one of the meals in the day. For me, it was the morning. It was the breakfast. So my parameters are I have to do a bit of exercise. I have to keep it lean on the breakfast. But after lunch, all bets are off. And I mean, when I say all bets are off, it's just like bottomless brunching began. So you still had a nice holiday. Like you said, you didn't put the numbers in. You came back and you still felt good. Happy days. So for anyone that wants to put a question in for our next month's Q&A, do get in touch. Just send me a DM on Insta. Have a look at my website, fitnessfertility.com. But I'm everywhere. So just get in touch. Send me your question in um, and we'll include it in next month's show. Maria, what will we be talking about on next Tuesday's Focus? Next Tuesday, we will be focusing on five conception myths. So things you think you know about trying to conceive that are all wrong. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week. And please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our Trying to Conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.